When I was 10 years old, my best friend got a motorcycle. It was a dirt bike. And he spent hours riding it through this big open field that was near our house. One day he invited me over and he let me try it. And I was hooked. I went riding with him several times and oh my goodness, what an adrenaline rush. Cranking the throttle, going as fast as I could, sliding around corners, hitting a berm and actually jumping the motorcycle into the air. Oh my goodness, it, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. So it was just a few weeks of this and then I go home and say, Mom, Dad, I want a dirt bike. <laughs> and Mom and Dad say, absolutely not. <laughs> and they specifically said no because we don't think it's safe and we're concerned about the cost and we don't want to spend the money. So I refused to accept their denial of my request. And I launched a campaign, a campaign of relentless, perpetual, persistent asking. And I resolved to address their concerns. And since they were concerned about safety, I talked about the helmet, the gloves, the boots, and the protective gear that I could wear. Since they were concerned about cost, I started taking money from my paper out and setting that aside, saying, look, I can help contribute to the purchase of the motorcycle and the gear. And at every opportunity, I said, Mom, Dad, I want a dirt bike. Finally, after three years, three years, my persistence paid off. And I got my dirt bike. And I rode that relentlessly throughout all of my teenage years. A lot of great memories. But you know what? There's a huge lesson for me in that experience. Because I realized if I'd only asked my parents once and never again, I never would have had the joy of the dirt bike. I only got it because I was persistent. I needed to keep asking them because I couldn't achieve my goal on my own. I needed to keep asking so they would know I was serious. Because how often as kids and teens do we ask things on a whim, right? I gotta have it, I gotta have it, and then we forget about it and go on to the next big thing. I kept asking and I showed them I was serious. And then I needed to accompany my asking with some attitudes and behaviors which showed just how serious I was. I learned through that experience that sometimes persistent asking is essential. That is true in many areas of life. It's true for us as kids with parents and sometimes it's true with God. Now, I don't think God cared whether or not I got a dirt bike. <laughs> but we know there are many things in life that God does want us to have. And the reality is this, sometimes when we make a request of God, his first response to us is no. And he can say no for many reasons. All for our good, by the way. But when that happens, when we hear a no from God, if what we are asking for is in line with his will, then the best thing we can do is to be persistent and keep asking. Because just like a child with a parent, we need to show the Heavenly Father that we're serious and we're not asking on a whim. And as we pray, we're demonstrating to God that we are relying on Him more than we're relying on ourselves. God, we keep coming to you because we know only you can meet this need. 
And so we become persistent in prayer. And this is a really foundational principle. The principle of persistence in prayer. And in fact, it is so important to our understanding of the life of faith that Jesus tells a parable about it. And he wants us to know that persistence pays off. And so he shares a brief story about persistent asking. And after telling this story, as he often does, he then adds some teaching to clarify his point. Now, a bit later in the message, we're going to have some of the verses on the screen, as we often do. But right now, I would just like to have you listen. If you have your Bible open, don't look at it. Just listen. Listen to the words of Jesus from the book of Luke, chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. And he, Jesus, said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, there's an interesting word, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now that particular story and teaching comes directly after what we call the Lord's Prayer. And that's a prayer where, among other things, we are taught to pray and ask God to provide our daily bread. So we ask God in prayer for our daily bread, and then what did Jesus do? He tells a story, and the point of that story is about this man who needs some bread late at night. See, those things tie together. And it's a very simple story, like all of Jesus' parables, and this one is designed to teach us about prayer. And it's based on the central importance of hospitality in the first century Middle East. We may not realize it, but in that time and place, hospitality was far more than just being nice. Hospitality was a sacred duty. If a friend or even a stranger showed up at your door in need, you opened the door. And you provided food and water and shelter and rest. In other words, you provided some of the most basic, common essentials for human life. And you were to give that hospitality, not sparingly, not grudgingly. You were to treat that guest like a member of the family. And therefore, to not extend hospitality was shameful. Because it meant you were unselfish and ungracious. It meant you were unwilling to share what you had to meet the needs of other people. Jesus takes that cultural understanding of hospitality and he uses it as the basis for this parable to teach us about persistence in prayer and to teach us that persistence pays off.
And Jesus, this particular parable is told very short, in a very succinct way. And what I want to do now is I want to retell the story and amplify some of the details with a little bit of poetic license based on what we know about that culture. And then to help add some clarity, I'm going to give names to these characters so we can track who's doing what in the story. So here's the Bruce White expanded version of the parable. Simon is in bed and it's past 11 o'clock at night. And suddenly he hears knocking on the door. So he gets out of bed, he opens the door, and he finds his friend Andrew standing there. Andrew has just arrived in town after a long journey and he's tired and he's hungry and he needs a place to stay. Simon invites Andrew inside. And actually he was expecting Andrew to come, but just not on that day and not at this late hour. And because he's been caught by surprise, Simon's in a fix. Because Andrew wasn't expected, there's no food in the house. Here's a side note of explanation. We are blessed to live in a modern nation in a modern era of refrigeration and canned goods and preservatives and we take food storage for granted. For most of us, an empty cupboard or an empty fridge would be highly unusual. But that wasn't the case in the first century. People typically shopped for fresh food daily because they couldn't store it. And often they would bake just enough bread for the day. And as a result, it wasn't unusual for people to go to bed with little or no food in the house. And that's Simon's situation. Andrew's arrival catches him unprepared, so he can't meet his friend's very real need. So what can he do? Well, he can't go to the store because there's no store. Most of those villages did not have stores and food shops. They would have an open-air market during the day, and that's it. And even in a bigger city where there might be various food shops, they wouldn't be open late at night like 7-Eleven. Simon really has only one option. He's got to go get some bread from somebody else. Well, he lives down the street from Jacob, and he knows that Jacob's wife baked a lot of bread that day. So he thinks, aha, I'll head down there. I'll get some bread from them. So by the time he gets to Jacob's house, now it's midnight and the door's shut and the family's asleep and Simon doesn't care because his need is urgent. And here's the key point. For Simon, the shame of not taking care of a guest and meeting his needs, that's far greater than the shame of disturbing Jacob at midnight. So Simon knocks and he wakes up the whole family. We know from the way Jesus tells the parable that Jacob's ticked off. <laughs> he doesn't even open the door. Hey, get out of here. We're all asleep. Go away. Simon persists. He persists because he has a need to be a hospitable host. He persists because Andrew is hungry and he needs food. He persists because he has no other options. He persists so much that eventually he becomes annoying. Just to get some peace, Jacob gets up, opens the door, and loads Simon up with bread. And Simon now will be able to be a good host and provide Andrew with food. But only because he engaged in some pesky, irritating behavior. 
And then after telling this, the culmination of the parable, Jesus in verse 8 affirms that behavior. Let's take a look. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. By saying that, Jesus wants us to understand that people with legitimate needs, not not superficial wants, but needs, must understand the importance of asking persistently, asking boldly, asking audaciously, asking relentlessly. Jesus says the midnight caller is displaying impudence, and that word in the original Greek literally means shameless persistence. And that kind of persistence is particularly appropriate when we are driven by the desire to meet the needs of another human being. And in those situations, we can ask and we should ask without embarrassment or shame. I think of that in light of a very sad fact. Right here in our neighborhood, there are families who struggle to put food on the table people who live all around us, in the midst of them are some who often have barren pantries and barren refrigerators. And that's why we as a church donate turkeys to needy families at Thanksgiving. That's why several times each year we collect food for needy kids that attend Ridgeview Elementary School right around the corner. And when we help meet basic needs like that, it's an expression of the exact kind of hospitality that Jesus is talking about in the parable. That kind of hospitality is a good and godly thing to do. And when we ask you to donate food again and again and again, (laughs) we're not ashamed to do so. Because God wants us to help meet the needs of our neighbors. And so we ask with shameless persistence. Now, having said all of that, Jesus' ultimate purpose here is not to teach us how to practice hospitality. Hospitality is important, it's good, it's godly. And it's true that in this parable, like in many parables, we can often glean practical insights, and here we can learn some things about hospitality, but that's not really the ultimate point because parables are not meant to be understood literally. They are are analogies that Jesus uses to teach us about life in the kingdom of God. Jesus is using this particular parable to teach us about prayer. He wants us to persistently pray to our Heavenly Father the way that the man I call Simon in the parable persistently asked his neighbor. Now obviously there's a big difference between God and that neighbor in the parable. Simon's neighbor is grumpy. (laughs) He's resistant. So Simon keeps asking to wear him down. God, our Father isn't grumpy. Our Father isn't resistant. 
we pray with persistence not to wear God down, but to demonstrate a reliance on Him. And here's a great way to understand this. Persistent prayer is the prayer of relentless faith. Let me say that again. Persistent prayer is the prayer of relentless faith. There's a great Christian author, E.M. Bounds, who's written a lot about prayer. And here's what he writes about this kind of prayer. The prayer of relentless faith never faints nor grows weary. It's never discouraged and never yields to cowardice. Instead, it is buoyed up and sustained by a hope that knows no despair and a faith which will not let go. Jesus wants us to pray with persistent faith precisely because God is not like the grumpy, resistant neighbor in the parable. And that's why Jesus says in the parable, if an irritated neighbor will get up at midnight because of our persistence, how much more will God, our loving Heavenly Father, graciously meet our needs? We just need to ask. Ask persistently. And as we do, God promises to respond, which Jesus then emphasizes in verses 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now as Jesus makes this comment, we need to understand at this point the actual parable is over and Jesus now is teaching so we understand some things about that parable. And Jesus offers these words which for many of us are extremely familiar. Many of us love to quote them. And you know what we usually do? We quote them out of context. (laughs) Which means we get their meaning wrong. Context is vital for properly understanding Scripture. And that's especially true in this case. After all, just listening to those words as I read those two verses in isolation, it can seem like Jesus is guaranteeing that we're going to get everything we ask for. And yet we know that's not the case, right? You see, Jesus is not making a universal statement. He makes this particular promise in the context of praying for basic needs. Particularly our need to help meet the needs of other people. Because that's what the parable's about. That's one common misunderstanding about these words. Another common misunderstanding is that some people act like they offer us sort of a a, a one and done kind of deal. In other words, oh, I ask and I get. I seek and I find. I knock and it's open. Just, you know, one and done. That's not what Jesus is saying. Those three verbs in verse 9, ask, seek, not, knock, are set in a Greek tense which indicates ongoing forward movement. So we might say it this way. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. 
In other words, exactly in line with what Jesus has been teaching through this parable, be persistent. It's not one and done many times. And particularly do we need to be persistent when we are asking God to meet the needs of another person. Andrew is the one in the parable with the greatest need. He needs bread. And for Simon, that need was the greatest motivation. That was the motivation to keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. And Jesus is saying, that's the model for prayer. And so when we pray with shameless persistence on behalf of another person, that is when our asking and seeking and knocking really makes a difference. And then we can really trust God's promise to respond. And we will see him respond with his good gifts as Jesus explains in verses 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, ooh, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Okay, so Jesus used the parable to illustrate how we should persistently ask. He now shifts the focus in His teaching. He's shifting the focus from the way we ask to the way a father responds. And he tells us that a good father will meet the needs of his children. A good father will not give his hungry children snakes or scorpions to eat. And as we read those words, you might think, you know, those are kind of out there ludicrous examples, but they're not. As usually is the case, Jesus picks those specific examples to make a point. Back in the first century, there was a water snake in that region that looked at through the water could look like a fish. There was a scorpion that when it would roll up could look like an egg. A loving father doesn't give those things to his kids. See, a loving father won't try to fool his own children with substandard gifts. (laughs) Oh no, a good father will give his children real fish and real eggs to nourish them and sustain them. And if a human father, an imperfect father, will be good to his children and meet their real needs, then Jesus is saying we can trust the Heavenly Father to do far more for us as his children. God the Father never will give us inferior gifts in place of the real thing. When he meets our needs, he always will give us what is best. Because God the Father loves to give his children good gifts. Now, this sounds pretty simple, but we can't overlook two very dramatic points. Virtually every time Jesus tells a parable, there's at least one shocking element, and sometimes more. Jesus loves to set people up. He starts telling a story about simple things, about circumstances of daily life, people and situations that they know. People are listening, they're nodding along, going, okay, I get this, I get this, I know where he's going. And then he says something completely unexpected. He says something that makes them go, oh! 
or mm. <laughs> or maybe go what <laughs> and those gotcha moments of the parable are what Jesus wants to use as a catalyst for our attitude adjustments those are the points he wants us to wrestle with and embrace so we can make appropriate changes in the way that we think and in the way that we act. And we find two such surprises in this parable. Here's the first one. The audience listening to Jesus, they're not skeptics. They're not enemies of Jesus, not this time. The people listening to him are disciples and spiritual seekers. People who want to be good and godly, and in verse 13, Jesus says, you're evil. Whoa, what? Why would he call them evil? He does it because he wants people to grasp a proper concept of goodness. You see, no matter how good we may think we are, only God truly is good. Oh yes, you and I can at times do good things, but at times we all trip up and we mess up and we ensnarl ourselves in things like pride and greed and selfishness and more. And that's why Jesus once said, no one is good but God alone. And if only God is good, then I'm not. Even if I sometimes do good things. And I need to humbly admit who I am in relationship to God. And since only God truly is good, then he will do much greater good than I ever could or you ever could. He will give much better gifts than any of us ever could. And that's why we must rely on him more than we rely on ourselves. And that leads to the second shocking point of this parable. And the second point is going to tie in to the first point. Because at the end of his teaching time here, Jesus redefines our basic need. I think we'll get this better if we understand the flow of thought. Jesus begins with a parable about asking persistently for bread. Asking for bread so that a hungry person will be filled and so a host can extend hospitality to his guests. Jesus then lays out promises and examples of how needs like that can be met. The whole thing's all about food. And therefore, we might logically expect the concluding statement in verse 13 to read something like this. If you, you inferior human beings, if you know how to meet the needs of your own children for food, then how much more will God the Father meet your need for food? But Jesus doesn't say that. He talks about good parents giving their children good food. And then he says, God the Father's going to give you the Holy Spirit. What? <laughs> How do those two things relate? You see, that comment would definitely get a gasp from the audience because it's not the natural endpoint of what Jesus has been saying. And so if we want to embrace the reality of what Jesus is teaching, then we need to make an attitude adjustment. 
Because the bottom line is this, we may have a legitimate need for food or clothing or shelter, and we may have other very real needs, but all of those, all of those pale in significance to the gift of the Holy Spirit that our good God wants to give to us. And why is it that the gift of the Spirit is so important? Because this is a gift we receive when we become followers of Jesus. And in fact, the Spirit is at work in our life before we become followers of Jesus. Jesus said the primary, one of the primary ministries of the Spirit is to be present in the world and to bring conviction upon people of their sinfulness so they will open their hearts to God and be in a position where they can be drawn to Christ. And then when we do that, when we say yes to God and we repent of our sins and receive the forgiveness of God, He places His Holy Spirit within us. And it is the Spirit who in that moment when we say yes to Jesus begins the process of transforming us from evil, sinful people into children of God. We heard a lot about that in our study through John about being reborn as children of the Father. It's because of who the Holy Spirit is and what He does when we say yes to Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. And that need is great. Our good, loving Father wants to meet that need and bless us with that gift. And here's something really important to understand. The presence of the Holy Spirit is an ongoing gift to every child of God. There are numerous passages in Scripture which describe how the Holy Spirit encourages us and empowers us. But one of my favorites is the one written by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, where he says, the fruit of the Spirit, meaning what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and mine, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wouldn't our world be a better place if we as human beings reflected more of those things? Love to self-control, all of these things. You see, the Holy Spirit as we spend time with God in prayer, as we spend time with each other, as we spend time in the Word, the Holy Spirit moves deeper and deeper into our, our lives and He continually then shapes our attitudes and our character so we live as more godly men and women. And that's why the Holy Spirit is such a great gift from our great God. It's a gift that God wants us to embrace. And the fact that Jesus ends the parable this way, ends his teaching time this way, tells us that God wants to do more than meet what we call felt needs. God wants to meet our deepest needs because he always has our best interests at heart. This is the good God to whom we pray, who wants to bless us with his spirit and because he's such a good God who always will care for us at the deepest level then we can confidently pray to him with shameless persistence and I don't think our shameless persistence is limited 
to praying for more of the Holy Spirit, but in light of Jesus' teaching, I think a regular part of your prayers and mine should be to say, Father, I need more of the Spirit's influence in my life. And Father, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would influence the life of that person over there, my dear friend who is spiritually adrift, because they need to know you. And I know you want them in your family. So please draw them to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. The thing that's inescapable is at the heart of this parable is shameless, persistent prayer, primarily on the behalf of other people. And particularly if someone is spiritually adrift, wandering far from God, then receiving the gift of the Spirit, that, in that moment, is their greatest need. I love the way this plays out in the story of a man named Howard and his father. True story. Howard grew up in a home where there was no faith, but by God's grace, there were some Christians in his neighborhood. They loved on him. They brought him to church. When Howard was in the fifth grade, he made a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. His mom eventually came to faith, but Howard's dad, Carl, nope, he wasn't interested. Every time Howard tried to talk to Carl about Jesus, Carl would just shut him down. Howard was deeply concerned for his dad's soul. And so as a teenager, he made a commitment. He made a commitment that he was going to pray for his dad's salvation every single day. And he prayed very specifically. He asked God to send the Holy Spirit to help his dad understand his need for, to be forgiven, to understand that he was a sinner who needed the Savior. He asked the Holy Spirit to bring other people into his dad's life to help influence Carl toward Jesus. So Carl pray, or excuse me, Howard prayed throughout his teen years and went to college, got married. And when Jean, his wife, came along, she, he got her to join him in that daily prayer for dad's salvation. They started a family. The kids came along, four of them. Those kids all made their own decision to become followers of Jesus, and then mom and dad enlisted them in this holy task of persistent prayer that these kids' grandfather Carl would become a follower of Jesus. And those little kids, oh, (laughs) they loved their grandpa, and they took that prayer very seriously. And because kids are kids, that led to some interesting moments. <laughs> like, like one time when Carl came to visit and Howard's uh, 10-year-old son goes running out to meet his grandpa and he says, hey, grandpa, do you know Jesus yet? <laughs> grandpa says, uh, 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 no, no, I don't. Well, you will pretty soon because we're praying for you. <laughs> and Howard's going, oh, awkward, awkward. <laughs> but you know what? That prayer wasn't answered soon because we can pray persistently for someone's soul but human beings have free will and human beings can resist God and Carl was a spiritually stubborn man so the years passed the decades passed yet Howard and Jean and their kids continued to pray to pray with shameless persistence 
for the salvation of that man they all left. They didn't know if it ever happened. But they prayed with faith, believing it could happen. They prayed believing that the passage of time was not a no, but by God's grace might only be a not yet. Howard was in late middle age when one day he got a call from his dad. Son, I want you to know that God finally got through to me. Today I said yes to Jesus and he washed away my sins. He's given me the gift of the Holy Spirit and I feel like a new man. Thanks for not giving up on me, son. Thanks for praying for me. And here's what I love. And tell, tell those grandkids of mine that I could feel their prayers. Howard had been praying for his dad daily for 43 years. 43 years. He and his family are convinced that their shameless persistence in prayer made a difference. And Carl, who was the focus of those prayers, he believes that too. And that whole family understands that persistence pays off. And they all understand that the gift of the Holy Spirit is one of God's great gifts to his children. Because of the, the gift of the Spirit meets one of our deepest needs. The need to be reborn as children of God, the need to be able to live as children of God. So here's where I think this parable leads us. First, I want you to think about someone you know who's far from God, someone spiritually adrift. And maybe you've given up on him. I, I think Jesus' invitation here is this. Pray for them with shameless persistence. Pray for the Holy Spirit to draw that person into the family of God because that is their greatest need. And then second, think about an area of your life where you need to experience more of the Spirit's influence. I think there's an invitation here for you to pray for yourself with shameless persistence. Pray for the Spirit to mold you and shape you so that your character, character will increasingly reflect the character of Jesus. Because that really is your greatest need. That's my greatest need. And brothers and sisters, when we pray persistently for God to meet that need, oh, then we will see him respond. Because Jesus has made it so clear this morning that persistence in that kind of prayer, it does pay off. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have of learning from Jesus. Thank you for what he taught us here this morning. Help us to embrace this teaching with passion and with conviction. And I pray, Father, that 
from this, we would take a renewed desire to be more persistent in prayer. And as we pray, we can pray about all kinds of needs that are very real and very valid, but we recognize now that, that one of our greatest needs is to be filled with your spirit so that our attitudes and actions will reflect more of you. And as we pray for more of the spirit for us, we pray, Father, for our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus. We pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would draw them into your family that they would receive the gift of the Spirit. And so, Father, we ask for more and more of this great gift for ourselves and for the people within our sphere of influence. We offer this prayer in confidence because we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.